Well, welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. My name is Michael Harrison. I'm on staff here, and we are truly excited that you're here this morning. I know we say that all the time, but isn't it good to be together, to worship, um, and to be in his word, to pray together? You know, as we were talking with uh, my junior guys that I lead on Wednesday nights, we were talking about church and just the, the, the piece of it being kind of this reset, uh, a chance to come together and be encouraged to go back out for the week. Um, so it's just, it's really good to be here. I know Ron mentioned this, but I want to mention again, on if you're new, our connection card, if you'll fill this out, take it to the Connection Center. We've got a little gift for you. But then also, we've got, uh, this is how we keep up with our prayer requests. And so if you've got something going on that you want the staff or the elders or the prayer team uh, to lift up for you this week, fill that out right there, drop it in one of the offering baskets. Um, and we'll take that. And then also, uh, during the last couple songs, we've got some signs that say pray in the back. We'll have uh, some folks from our prayer team there. There's something going on today, and you really just need someone to intercede for you, to pray for you, pray with you. Uh, you can step out in the hallways if you need some privacy, but we'd love for you to take advantage of that. Our prayer team really considers it an honor and a privilege to be able to uh, go before the Lord with you. So I want you to definitely take advantage um, of that opportunity or having the staff and the elders uh, and the prayer team pray for you throughout the week. And also I want to say thank you. I noticed, you know, our Super Bowl Sunday, y'all brought soups and chilies and lots of stuff that we've been collecting out there for the Bethlehem house. You know, this really provides a ton of food for them all year long uh, to restock their pantry. So if you didn't get a chance to do that and you still want to, um, you could drop something off in the morning at the office, or you could just take it directly to Bethlehem House. Um, they are so thankful when we take a big load down there. So thank you, thank you um, for doing that. And then another announcement, my last announcement, there's a lot of them in the bulletin, but we are starting Lent this week, which is kind of crazy. I mean, it blows my mind that we're already preparing for Easter. Um, but Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, and like we did uh, last year, up in the fireside room uh, from early in the morning, I think 7 to 6 or 7 to 7, we're going to have uh, that kind of set aside. The prayer team has put some things together uh, that you can go up there and just be still and be quiet before the Lord, stay as long as you want, kind of walk through some different prayer prompts. Um, but we really want you to take advantage of that. As we all are in a place, I mean, our world is so busy, so crazy, so hectic, that it's good to just take some time and be with the Father, prepare our hearts and our minds uh, for what we're going to celebrate at Easter. So please take advantage of that um, this Wednesday as we look forward uh, to celebrating the resurrection. Well, as I was praying and just thinking through what I was going to talk about today, um, Ken's gone in Nashville doing some OCC things. He'll be back, pick up with Luke and John and Acts. But as I was thinking about this, you know, Shane talked about the church on mission a few uh, weeks back, talked through the book of Acts, and as we're in the Gospels, I thought, you know, it is great to be reminded about the gospel message. Like, it never hurts to go back and go, what, what is the gospel? What is the message that we're holding out to the world? What is the message that we're supposed to take to a broken and lost world? Well, it's the gospel message, and as I was thinking through this, I thought about a lot of things, and, you know, I am thankful for my parents. I'm thankful for the foundation that they laid in my life. 
from the time I was born. I'm thankful for teachers and coaches like Ed Dow, who lived out his faith in front of me, led FCA, led Bible studies with high school guys, because the gospel had impacted him. I'm thankful for young life leaders who pursued me for the sake of the gospel. Lance Johnson, a guy who pursued me when I wasn't wanting to be pursued, but he loved me for the sake of the gospel. And I'm thankful for STUMO leaders at Fayetteville and all these college campuses who pursue college people for the sake of the gospel. And a guy named Nick Collins who led a Bible study in my fraternity house every Sunday night, even though nobody really wanted to be there. We were all feeling really guilty, so we went every Sunday night, or a group of us did. But he was faithful to be there every Sunday night and lead that Bible study, even though he knew what we were doing the rest of the week. But I am grateful for him that he walked with me back to my room and verbally shared the good news, shared the gospel message with me. And I'm thankful for guys like Chris Larson, one of my best friends, who when I came home from Fayetteville and got involved in other ministries, showed me what it looked like to walk with Jesus. Showed me what it looked like to respond to the gospel. Not just a one-time thing, but to be in relationship with Jesus. I'm thankful for so many different influences. John Evans, Judd Jones, Ann Chairs, Ken Wilson, Pat Holzman, Carolyn Norwood, Ray Miller, Elizabeth Neen. A lot of these have gone to be with the Lord, but they are people, real names of people who prayed for me, who shared with me, who loved me my entire life. Why? Because they were impacted by the gospel message. And I hope you and I are these people. Are you? I hope there are people someday who will say about us, gosh, I'm glad that they stepped into my life. I'm glad they leaned in. I'm glad we had that conversation over lunch. Gosh, I'm glad they stepped in my office and talked about how they were struggling, but how God impacted their life. Are you going to be the name on somebody's list of somebody who has been directly impacted by the good news but then turned around and took that to the world. I'm thankful for those people, and I'm thankful for the message they shared. Not just that they loved me, but they loved me because of the gospel message, because of who was Jesus Christ was in their life. I'm going to start to frame our time this morning with this verse, Romans 1.16. Read with me. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Because it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Eugene Peterson in the message says it this way, It's news I'm most proud to proclaim. This extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him. Starting with the Jews and then right on to everyone else. I love that. And then right on to everyone else. Else. There is power in the gospel. And I'm going to say that a lot this morning. There is power in the gospel, just as we see Paul proclaiming right here. This word gospel or good news, it's a good message because we know that there's other things 
that are not good. And we'll talk about that, of why it is such good news. And then this word power, the original word is dynamis, or force, or miraculous power. Think about what's going on here. Think about the power of God in the words of the gospel, in the words of the good news of Jesus. And it hits our ears, comes into our minds, sifts down to our hearts, and it miraculously resurrects our spirit in the new life. That is the power of God. That is the power that is in this gospel message. And that's what the narratives of Matthew, Mark, Luke, all the New Testament is telling the story of Jesus, and this is the gospel message that we want to talk about this morning. And the power that brings salvation, this idea of being rescued, brought to safety, being reconciled back to God. We are brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And this is what the gospel is. Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, and this is what is accomplished on the cross and with the empty tomb is that we are invited into his kingdom. We're invited into the kingdom of God, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But to be the sons and the daughters that he's called us to be. And that is power. That is power to be rescued and be given salvation. And you know, we talk about this in our mission. Here at Fellowship, we talk about inviting people into God's story, not just inviting them to church, that's good. Not just inviting them into this community, but inviting them into God's kingdom through what Jesus did on the cross, through this gospel message. And it's available to everyone, as it says, to all who believe. We're going to talk about this word belief, but to have faith or to trust in what Jesus did. Here's a quote by Doug Moo. It says this, says, Through the gospel, God unleashes a power to change people and at the crucial point in their relationship to him. When people respond in faith to the message of the good news, God justifies them. That is, he declares them innocent before him, removing the barrier that exists between all human beings in their natural state and God. And I love this last piece. Everything else in the Christian life flows from this marvelous experience. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. As we kind of frame up what the gospel is, who Jesus is, what he did, our response. I want you to think about that last sentence. Everything else in the Christian life flows from this marvelous experience. Too often we have shared the gospel and the story of salvation as a one-time transaction. As a one-time thing, punch your ticket. But folks, that's, that's where we've fallen short. Discipleship starts way back here, way before conversion, and works through to conversion and carries on as people learn to follow Jesus, which we'll talk about this morning. That's why I shared all of that I shared about my life. I'm thankful from the foundation, from the beginning, to people currently, my colleagues I work with here at the church, the people in my home church who walk with me, we walk with one another. It is a continuance all the way 
until he returns or until I go to be with him. That is a picture of the gospel at work in the lives of his people. So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to give you four different truth statements. I think it says truth statements or declarative statements. Things that are true about who he is and about what he did. And we're going to start in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Read with me. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. There it is again. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So this idea of a kingdom, of royalty, of future rule in his realm. Jesus is the king. And this idea of where it says come near, it's a bring near, approach, or make near. You see, there's, there's something going on here because of God's kingdom being on earth through the king. That's why the kingdom was brought near. It's this idea of, of already but not yet because there's a future piece to this. But when Jesus was here on the earth, because he is the king, the kingdom had drawn near. God's kingdom is near. He is the king. And this physical kingdom will come at the second coming of Jesus. And in this kingdom, Christ is the king and has authority. Life in that kingdom is defined by God. And we are graciously invited into this relationship with the king who loves us, who gave himself for us. In this kingdom, as we learned in Matthew, it's all turned upside down. It's not what the disciples thought. It's not what we think. This is a kingdom about grace. And we live by faith, not by sight. And God changes us in his kingdom from the inside out. Declaring us free from accusation and guilt. And he changes us moment by moment as we continually walk with him. As we respond to the gospel and as we continually walk with him. And there is power in the gospel. There is power to break addictions. There is power to heal broken hearts. There is power to heal marriages. There is power to love the people who are hard to love. The gospel is the power of God. Here's a quote out of the book we use for Advent by Duvall and Hayes. It says this, God's kingdom has come near both temporally and spatially in the person of Jesus. God's personal presence has invaded history. Most importantly, the arrival of the presence of God incarnate. God in the flesh, in Jesus of Nazareth, and he constitutes and embodies the arrival of the kingdom. In a theological sense, God's relational presence precedes, creates, and signifies the kingdom. No presence, no kingdom. That's why the kingdom has drawn near, because the king was here. And so the kingdom has drawn near. And there's some Old Testament verses that speak to this. Isaiah 9, 7 says this, Of the greatness of this government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. This connection to the Old Testament. 
looking forward to the king who came and the king who will come back. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Once again, we get this prophecy of the coming king. Jesus is the king and his kingdom God's kingdom has drawn near. And it's a yet already but not yet kind of thing. We're going to go on and look at a second thing. So Jesus is king. Read with me out of Mark 8, 27 through 31. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? This is this great little interaction where Peter is kind of highlighted. But he's saying, who do, y'all, who, do you think, who do people say that I am? And they throw out some things. Elijah, John the Baptist, others say one of the prophets. But then I love what he does. He turns and he says, yeah, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter finally gets it. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting on. See, he gets it. Matthew eleven thirteen talks about it. He says, should we wait on someone else? Or are you the one? Jesus was the one. He's the long-awaited one. And not only were they waiting on him, and is he the answer, but we're the ones waiting on him. He is our answer. He is our hope. He is our salvation. And everyone else who doesn't know him, he is the long-awaited one. He is the Messiah. He is the one that all of us can turn to to find life. I love his confession. It's so important. It's so powerful to see this, to understand this. And where do we land on that? Who do we say that he is? Is he just a good example to follow? Or do we truly believe that he is the king? Do we really believe that he is the Messiah? He is the anointed one. He is the one that we've been waiting on as well and that we await his second coming. Isaiah 53, 5, another look back at a prophecy, prophecy that points forward says but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed he took the punishment we'll talk about this a little bit later but he took the punishment he gave us peace by his wounds we were healed he's the king he's also the messiah the anointed one and the gospel is the power of God. You know, part of what I want you to do this morning is I want to take the pressure off. I want to take the pressure off of me and off of you because it's not about how we say it or, or how we present it or what we do. We do need to be clear, and that's why we're talking about it, but the power is in the gospel. We just hold it out to people. We hold it out to a lost and broken world, and God is the one that does the work. The power is in the gospel. 
So we have a king, we have a Messiah. We're going to move on and look at two things that he did. I love this scripture right here, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. You need to put this to memory. I mean, this is one of those verses. It's got it all. It's all packed in here. It says, and now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. There it is again. I want to remind you of this good news. I preach to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word, I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Listen to what he says here. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is it. These are the words that we share. This is what we hold out when we talk about the gospel message, the narratives of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are being told that Ken has taken us through. This is the message. And listen to what he says. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to many. He appeared to the masses. So the punishment, as we just read, the punishment that was on him brought us peace. We get this picture of this sacrificial death. He was died and he was buried. And it was according to the scriptures, according to the holy writings. This isn't something new that was just come up, but this is something that they had understood, they had seen, they had studied, they had read about, they awaited. So it's according to the scriptures. It's a great verse. If you're going to sit down with somebody and talk about the, this is the verse right here. That he died for our sins and that, that he was buried. And we get this sacrificial death. And the things that are going on on the cross, that not only did he take on the wrath of God that we deserved, number one, but two, he then imputed to us his righteousness. He made that exchange. Our unrighteousness for his righteousness. You know, what we inherited from Adam, one man was death, but what we get through Christ, one man is life. So we get a picture of the sacrificial death and the proof of that. He was buried. He died and he was buried. And then he was resurrected on the third day, once again, according to the scriptures. And then people saw him. That's the proof. People saw him. He didn't just go to the grave and that was it. He went to the grave and then the tomb was empty, and people saw him according to the scriptures. It was prophesied that it was going to happen. He talked about it to his disciples. And so we get this miraculous resurrection. By his wounds were healed. By God's power, he was raised from the dead. The same power that as we're brought, invited in, to respond to the gospel. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that gives you and I new life. That's what, and then one verse where it talks about the old is gone and the new is come. That's what happens. And I love how simple the gospel message is, but it is very profound when you think about what's going on in the spiritual realm. It is very profound, even though the words are simple. That Christ died, he was buried, that he was raised from the dead, and that he appeared to others. There is power in the gospel message. 
Take the pressure off. There's power in the message, not in you and I, but there's power in the message. We get to be the vessels that take that. We get to be the messengers that go out and love people. We get to be the ones that walk into someone else's office and talk about life and share these things. Two things that Jesus was. He's the king. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He died and was buried, and he rose according to the Scriptures. And he was seen by all. But there is a response. There's a response that we need to look at. There was a response, a response when we see these things, when we hear these things. And when the gospel is proclaimed, there is a response. In fact, the gospel demands a response. It's not just something that is thrown out and like, oh, that's nice, that's good. No, the gospel message, the fact that Jesus died and was resurrected, demands a response. So we're going to look at that. We're going to go back to this Mark verse. Right after where it says the kingdom of God has come near. Look what it says. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Now this idea of re- repent, I love what these, in the original, it means to think differently, to reconsider. I love this. To change one's mind and purpose. There's a change that goes on when we talk about repent the, in this sense of responding to the gospel. It's as if we're headed one way, we're concerned about certain things, but as the gospel message, as the power of God comes on to us, our minds are changed. Our purpose in life is changed, and we are now moving in a different direction. It was interesting. I had a conversation with somebody after first service, but this idea of repentance, it's not about doing better, doing good. Stop doing bad. Start doing good. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is allowing the power of God to change your heart and your mind and your purpose. Once again, the pressure's off. The result is we're not going to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans 12, 2. That's the result of true repentance. That's the result of what happens when our hearts and our minds are changed and the purpose of our life is forever different for eternity. The second thing, believe. This idea of of belief, again, we're repenting from sin, from missing the mark, and then we're believing to have faith or to be to credit by implication, to entrust, this idea of trust and faith. And we hear these words all the time, right? I mean, we hear the word believe, just believe. You know, have faith, trust. And I was trying to think through what makes sense. It's almost as if maybe there's a, there's a boat floating at the edge of the lake. And it's really easy for us to look at that and go, I see the boat floating. Maybe you can go over and you kind of, yeah, no water in it. It's doing what it's supposed to do. It's floating. Okay. And if asked, do you, do you have faith that that thing will, yeah, I've got faith that thing will float. Okay, get in it. No, I'm good. 
I mean, that's what we do. That, that, that is not having faith. If you really believe that the boat is going to float and is going to hold you, then that just, that's this idea of, of faith, of trust, is stepping into the boat and allowing it to do what you really say you believe that it does. And it was funny talking to somebody in between services too. He said, you know, I struggle. I don't struggle with that. I struggle with believing it enough that I'm willing to invite someone else in with me. And I was like, oh my gosh. Gosh, how many of us are there? Yeah, I, I'm good. I believe it myself. I'm jumping right in. But then do we believe it enough to invite others in with us? That's powerful. So we repent. We allow God to change us. We allow him to do the work, to change our course, alter our eternity because of who he is. And then we have faith, we trust. And by the way, I know I'm pulling these words apart. This is all happening in the spiritual realm. It's, it's complex. How this happens isn't this clean, but it's good for us to see it, to understand it, so that when we talk to people and when we explain it and when we teach folks, they can grasp the concepts. But this is all happening. There's this repentance as we believe. But I love what he says next. He says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you, or I will send you out to fish for people, make you fishers of men. You know, this is, this is something that I truly believe. As I said earlier, discipleship starts way before conversion and goes through conversion and all the way to eternity. This is something that I think that as a church, big church, global church, however you want to think through that, we have struggled to make salvation such a one-time deal. As I said earlier, punch your ticket. Do that thing, and then who cares? Live your life. But Jesus' kingdom is different. He says, repent, believe, and then come follow me. As that salvation, the power of salvation comes on you to then follow him. This word is come closer. Actually means like to the back, get behind me. I mean, it's a directional word of following the king, following the Messiah. I mean, how many of us fall short right there? We've come into, into this world, into this life, and we, we say, yeah, I believe that. Gosh, I trust. I'm even, yeah, I trust. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out in faith. But then we have no idea what it means to follow Jesus. You know, I talked about friends and people when I started this message that have walked with me through life. And I'm really grateful for them. I'm grateful that they were willing to show me what it meant to follow Jesus. 
And I truly hope that I'm doing that for someone else. And I hope all of us see that and can understand that and go, this is more than just this one-time deal. Yes, the gospel, at one moment, somewhere in your life, when you trusted and you believed, you obtained salvation. And then just like at the very beginning, everything else flows from there. Everything else flows from there. It's a lifetime of repentance. It's a lifetime of presenting ourselves on the altar and allowing God to wash over us. It's a lifetime of being reminded of our belief. What does the scripture say? The guy says, it's not my belief, it's my unbelief. It's my doubt that I struggle with. It's a lifetime of that. And it's a lifetime of following hard after Jesus. And we're never perfect. It's not about that. It's about letting the power of the gospel do what the power of the gospel is supposed to do. Give us salvation and carry us through as we're being sanctified until he returns again. You know, a room this size, we're all in different places. We're all in different places. Some of us have grown up in church our whole life. And we just kind of go, yeah, I've been here. I've been doing this thing. And maybe something's hitting you different today. Maybe there's something that you're going, gosh, I've never, I've never realized that. I ask that you lean into that story of who Jesus was and what he did. Lean in to the healing that comes through the power of the gospel. There's many of us that have been following Jesus for a long time, but we still live in a broken world. And we need the power of the gospel to wash over us. Our marriages, our families, our life situations. Because there is power in the gospel. There is power because of who God is and what his son did. And that we can lean in with the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Maybe some of you are just going, you know, that feels really uncomfortable when we start talking about the gospel because I know I should be telling others about it. And maybe that's what God's laying on your heart today. I don't know. I know I get convicted. I've got a little thing on my board in my office that says, speak the gospel in relationship. How often do we do that? You know, it's easy for me to love people. But how often do we verbally share the words that he died and he was buried and he rose again and he was seen by people? How often do we share the power of the gospel with people? Verbally. How often do we hold out that hope for the world to see? Because I know I get convicted by that because I can love people well. I can serve them. I can help them out. But at some point, our calling as believers is to take this message, just like Paul talked about in Corinthians, the message that they were taking a stand on, the message that they were saved by. He was reminding them, this is what it is. This is what I want you to take to the lost in the broken world.
A response to the gospel is more than just a one-time transaction. I've said this. It's also a daily offering of yourself resulting in a lifetime of transformation. That is what we're sharing with people. Are we sharing eternity? Yes. Are we sharing salvation? Yes. But we're also sharing hope in a world that is hard to navigate and a future hope of a future king that is going to return and set everything right. Every relationship, every brokenness, everything that needs to be healed, every disease, everything. He's going to set it right because his kingdom is different. And he's the king. Here's some next steps. Understand your story in light of the gospel. What is your story? Who are the people in your life that impacted you? Who are the people in your life that you're trying to love and share this story with and share the gospel with? Know that. Understand that. Understand these different parts of the gospel. That's so simple yet so profound and so powerful. Share your story of trusting Christ with someone this week. Now I'll even add to that. Maybe identify people that you're really kind of in conversation with, that you're having spiritual conversations with, that you go, you know, it's time that I verbally say something. It's time that I pray and I ask God to give me the opportunity to step into that office, to have that lunch, to invite him for that cup of coffee, have him over for dinner, and to say the words. And remember, the pressure's off. Let them respond. Only God, only God can move in their life. The pressure's off. We just hold out the hope. And the last one says, attend the downline preview night. Here's a slide for that. You know, if you ever go, gosh, I feel like I need, I need more foundation. I need to understand more of the story from Genesis to Revelation. Here it is. Go check out downline. You'll learn the concepts. You'll learn what it looks like to walk with people. We had an equipping class this morning that talked about the gospel. They're talking about how do you have conversations in everyday life to help people hear the truth and to walk in a way worthy of the Lord. Folks, this is the gospel message. This is what has the power to save. It's not on you and I. We get to be the vessels. We get to be the ones that hold it out to a lost and a broken world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you were willing to put on flesh God incarnate, Jesus Christ. Lord, to live a perfect life, to die a humiliating death, Lord, but to sacrifice for us so that we could be reconciled to you, Lord. And Lord, you didn't stop there, but you rose Jesus from the dead. And he sits at your right hand, Lord, and he's going to return. And Father, I pray that we would live a life anticipating that return. That we would live a life, Lord, of repentance. 
Lord, a life of faith, of belief, of trust. Lord, a life of following you. That a lost and broken world will see and understand that they need you, Lord. Because we all need you. Lord, be with us as we continue to worship. Draw us into yourself, Lord. And don't let us leave here today different than the way we came in, Father. Transform our hearts, transform our minds. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.